Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. We are fired up on a beautiful Tuesday here in downtown central New York. A crisp, clear day, the type of day... That shows you just how important the sun is to our well-being and outlook on life. It's not especially warm. It's upper 40s, low 50s, but it's sunny and crisp, and people are smiling and having a good day. I'm having a hell of a day, Polly. I'm not afraid to tell you. Really good scoreboard day so far. Lighten it up. So I'm a little concerned that this show could be a complete grease fire. I'll do everything I contrast. can to, to ruin it for you. Uh, but productive morning haircut looking sharp Brennax podcast at syracuse.com two two easy parallel parks quality sandwich from boulangerie the number 12 how could it go wrong from here I'll uh, show you <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem my fate is now in your hands which is what scares me, but... Everybody's getting the fall they've been looking for. It's only an hour, so if, how bad can it be? If I have to hear one more person complain that fall has not arrived in central New York, it's here today, so you can stop complaining. Were people saying that? Oh, it's obnoxious. Why are we... Why is summer still happening? I need fall. What is I, your problem? I need my hoodie, my uh, leaves, my pumpkin beer. Brent Axe is a I prime heard example. That on the, not that I listen to the We Get It podcast, but I have heard the promo for the We Get It podcast. It's like the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't need pumpkin. Now is maybe the time I might start getting into pumpkin stuff. I don't need the pumpkin stuff before middle of October, you know, two weeks prior to even Halloween, let alone Thanksgiving. Uh, I do like the fall. I like the leaves and all that. I like fall golf, which I don't get to play much. You just don't want to hit your ball uh, under the weeds or under the leaves. I mean, um, there we go. Already making mistakes on the show. So, would you do a pumpkin beer? Are you a pumpkin beer? I guy? would do a pumpkin beer, but I've tried a couple here and there, and uh, have not necessarily enjoyed them. I, I, I think some are better than others. Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a beer flavored beer. If I'm going to drink no. a beer, it's got to be beer flavored. You can't, you're recycling your jokes yes, for this show? Yes, it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, it's a good one. But <laughs> I'm a dark... You can't You can't make I, a joke into a promo, play it a million times, and then try to tread it back out on a different show. A Guinness is uh, always... Not a fan at all. I'm a huge... The darker the beer, the better. Um, But you're not much of a, a beer drinker at all. No. Uh, really, it. so yes. I don't think you have much of a... Uh, I was an expert at one point. No, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um... So we can talk sports today. We do that uh, here from 2 to 3 o'clock. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, before we get to the, the sports talk, you, you just let it hang out there for a minute. But uh, while I was waiting for my order, I have crystallized my opinion on the, the Central New York sandwich scene. The best individual sandwich in town, like that's in a regular lineup that's not a rotation player, is the number 12 at Boulangerie. That's my go-to. Chicken salad sandwich, multi-grain, 
apples, raisins. I think there's some uh, walnuts in there. Uh, that is a dynamite sandwich, and uh, it's on a pretty much a regular schedule for me. I'm a simple Cru- sandwich guy. Yeah, I'm sure you are. You're simple, period. Ro- roast beef, horseradish, Brooklyn pickle. Lettuce, tomato. All right, so it. Brooklyn pickle is a deli. You know what you're going to get every time. Love the pickle. Longtime supporter and fan, regular participant. The best sandwiches in town are at Darwin, a couple blocks from here, actually. Have not been. Now uh, newly relocated to the uh, Chase building. And they bring it. They uh, Good ingredients, good uh, creativity, lots going on. Used to be in a very, very small building uh, opposite uh, the Post Standard. And now they're in a much bigger building, and they're still uh, plenty busy and viable. It's an offshoot of Riley's. They do a good job over there. But the best, you know, one go-to sandwich down the block here a little bit. Boulangerie, Franklin Square. Shout out to the guys there. Crush Can we that. plug so, any more sandwiches? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, none of them pay for us. I do notice that we have a new sponsor on the show that we'll uh, we'll get to plug a little bit later when, when Joe comes in. How, how did that happen? Joe, Joe attract sponsorship? Very sellable. <laughs> Mr. Personality. So. <laughs> that is a really scary concept. So, okay, well, good. We're uh, we're get that established, got all that fun stuff out of the way. We do have Don McPherson coming on later. We're going to talk with Don about the idea that Clemson, the Clemson win on Friday night, can it be the Nebraska win for a new generation? And what were the types of things that were in place in 84, 5, 6 that led to 87 and uh, the fabulous season that that was and what needs to happen here, who needs to do what, what can come uh, for this next generation of Syracuse football because they've got their version of a mega upset. And uh, we'll talk with Don McPherson, quarterback of the 1987 Orange team, about that a bit later in the show. So uh, good stuff there. We've got uh, the various highlights of the evening and the setup for what's coming uh, later today next in our program. We'd love to take your questions and comments, even if they are about sandwiches. You can agree or disagree. For ESPN 44, 437-7644. If you'd like to join us, we're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Sunday, the Giants are at MetLife against the Seahawks. Pre-game at 325. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse is brought to you by CH Insurance, cnyrealtor.com. And Burdick Ford, great to have you with us on a beautiful day. You can join us by phone if you'd like at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. Don McPherson of the 1987 Orange football team will be our guest later in the show today. want to run through some of the happenings from yesterday and set the stage for what's to come, especially with the Yankees looking to even the American League Championship Series. Game 2 is at 5 o'clock, and you hear that game on AM 1200 ESPN Radio. And, of course, on TK99, TK99.5 with uh, John and Susan. And uh, we'll hear from John here in just a bit. But the Monday Night Football game went to the Titans, beating the Colts yesterday. Derrick Henry, a huge game. He was uh, over 140 yards himself in uh, yardage from scrimmage. Here's 72 to put the game away in the fourth. It is third down and five. 
with 101 to play from the 28 of Tennessee. Handoff goes to Henry. First free running from the 30 on the sideline, the 40. A foot race to the 50. Cuts inside. Breaks the tackle 40 on the numbers, the 30. Cuts to the middle of the field. Chase to the 20, the 10, the 5. Galloping in. Touchdown. Touchdown, Derrick Henry. 72-yard gallop. And he did it with style. And that is the dagger. And the Titans are going to win it up 35-22. They will go to 3-3. Three and three. Henry with a terrific run and a touchdown. The great Kevin Harlan on the call there. The Titans were down at halftime, scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to uh, put that one away and move to 3-2 and uh, two, or 3-3 three and three on the season. The uh, Colts now 2-4 and four and winless on the road over the course of the year. Still uh, Andrew Luck a little time away for the Colts. We're talking about getting him back maybe in the next couple of weeks. As for another NFL story, you heard Mike and Mike talk about it a great deal this morning, is uh, Mike McCarthy being asked the requisite question, a quarterback who hasn't played this year, would he be a fit for a team that now no longer has Aaron Rodgers? Do you entertain the idea of bringing Colin Kaepernick in to compete for that backup job? Did you just listen to that question I just answered? Okay, I got three years invested in Brett Hundley, two years invested in Joe Callahan. The quarterback room is exactly where it needs to be, okay? We're fortunate to have a great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. We're committed to the path that we're on. We need to play better as a football team. And Brett Hundley, he'll be, he'll be starting this week, and Joe Callahan will be the backup. Explosive response there from McCarthy, and it's going to get a lot of reaction when you ask the reporters are going to, of course, ask about Kaepernick. And they, they ought to, given that he is a qualified quarterback that's out there that has a lot more pelts on the wall than Brett Hundley and uh, whoever Joe Callahan is. And McCarthy explodes, and he's going to explode no matter what name is in there. It's even more so with Kaepernick. He's trying to move on and get off that topic because it's uh, clearly uh, one that he doesn't want to touch with a, a 10-foot pole. But if there was another quarterback available that they were willing to sign, I bet they would at least be considering it with this much of a season left ahead of Hundley. Still, it puts the uh, head coach on the the backup there. Uh, they're going to be very defensive, and you can hear the wheels beeping in the, the background there from McCarthy. He was uh, in a tough spot. Do you think that's a good question? Do you do think that's a good question? I think, no. I mean, I personally am not one to um, not one necessarily to bleed for Colin Kaepernick, and I'm not one to think that he's a fit for every position. And just because the job's open, do I think Kaepernick is a a, a fit or that the, the, the Packers are mandated to get him on the phone? I don't know about that, but but McCarthy ought to have anticipated it as well, uh, given that they do have a you know. Where would Kaepernick rank in NFL quarterbacks right now? Somewhere between probably 25 and 40. Like, he might be better than some guys that actually do have starting jobs. He certainly is better than some backups. Um, So I think it's worth asking, but because of who Kaepernick is, it's going to bring about an incendiary reaction. So I don't think we should be very surprised that he did that. Coaches are going to they're also going to the wall for their team. He he had just answered a question about it. He's trying to build confidence in Hunley and his whole spiel from the post game of the previous uh, of the previous day 
when they lost Aaron Rodgers was, hey, there's nothing to see here. Injuries happen in football. We're going to be fine. Well, wait, Coach, you, you lost arguably the best player in football. Hey, no, no big deal. Uh, next man up. We're going to win the championship. Well, come on. And that's obviously preposterous. He's got to take uh, desperate steps to get his team to believe that, and I think that's what's happening there. Yeah, I think they got two guys that know the offense already. You give one of them a chance. If that's not working, I could see asking that question in a couple weeks. I didn't think they would ask I couldn't now. pick Joe Callahan out of a lineup of two. Yeah, no, neither could I, but but there's two guys that know if the Joe offense. Joe Callahan was walking down Walton Street out here, I'm not sure I could identify him. And and I could see the Packers changing their mind in a week. You know, if things yeah. go horribly wrong, it may be something they have to look into, but give it a week. Yeah, you know, Getting into business with Kaepernick is an organizational decision and a lot of things that have to come with that. Kaepernick, I don't know. People that know quarterbacking better than I do would have to, to chime in, but I don't know that he's such a direct replacement for Rodgers. You know, they would be doing different things, but the Packers otherwise have a pretty good roster, and you'd like to have some – if you have a viability to contend at the top of your division, you'd like to keep that viability. But again, injuries happen. We'll see how that one – does uh, shake out. Hunley can sling it, was a good quarterback at UCLA, and we'll see what he does when he gets his opportunity. As for baseball, the Yankees bounce back with a win at Yankee Stadium. Todd Frazier, an early three-run shot to uh, give the Orange, or the Orange, the Yankees the lead, and uh, they would continue to hold it off. Aaron Judge was phenomenal against the wall defensively in right field and at the plate where he was struggled uh, for the most part of late in the postseason, he came through. Swung on, and a line drive to left. It is high, it is far, it is gone. He hit a line drive bullet to left. A three-run home run. A judging blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. He hits a three-run home run. The Yankees have blown it open. They have an 8 nothing lead. Again, John, I don't know that that one was especially high, nor far, nor Judgian, but it was good for the Yankees to see Judge make a solid contact and put that game out of reach. 8 nothing. CC Sabathia did the rest, and he deserves a ton of credit for uh, the type of pitcher that he has become at the end of his career. Shutout baseball as the Yankees get their first win in the series against the Astros. Bases loaded, one out. And here's Canely's 1-2 to Altuve. A chopper up the middle. Castro Fields steps on second. Throws to first. In time double play. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. All right, so there's our guy. And you can hear John and Susan today. 5 o'clock, game 4 of that series. Yankees look to even it up at the stadium. Sonny Gray on the mound for New York in that one. And Tim Kirkchin on ESPN this morning with the Yankees' outlook and hopes for evening the series or better. Well, the Yankees have really, really um, handled the offense for the Astros. I thought the Astros' offense was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they led the league in run scored. They led the league in OPS. They absolutely pummeled the Red Sox, and yet they've scored five runs in three games in the series. Now, Sonny Gray was pitching game four for the Yankees, had better be good, but they still have that great bullpen lined up. So this gives them hope. Plus, when you come back from 0-2 to beat the Indians, mm-hmm. I think the Yankees are now looking and saying, why can't we do something like that again? Well, the Yankees have to have a, a great deal of confidence. The Astros are good. They've got 
two extraordinary pitchers at minimum in Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander. So you got to make hay when they're not pitching and have to find a way to win on a day when they do, either against them or the bullpen. And I can't count the Yankees out just yet. And then certainly I think you might even favor whoever wins the American League uh, in the World Series. But uh, you never know. That's been an exciting series as well. And they shift scenes to Chicago too. So uh, lots of good baseball here. And then we work our way toward the Orange and Miami, the first meeting between the two programs since 2003. And it's coming up on Saturday with a 3.30 kickoff. We'll talk a little more big picture later in the show with Don McPherson. What about 84 led to 87? What were the growing pains there, and what should we be on the lookout for in the next couple of years here since uh, the cataclysmic event like Nebraska just happened here on Friday night? What kind of uh, start could that be to uh, something special, the Orange uh, beating Clemson 27-24 in the Dome. Back-to-back 27-24 wins for the Cuse against uh, Pittsburgh and Clemson. The Orange over 500 in ACC play. We invite you to listen all day long and do that every day, but be caller number five when prompted. Might as well just throw it out now, right, Polly? Why not? Prompt him. Prompt him. So here's your prompt. Ding. <laughs> be caller number five for your chance to see an advanced screening of ESPN's 30 for 30 to come. Nature Boy, the Ric Flair story. We'll be showing that at the Red House Art Center just across the street here on Thursday, November 2nd. You can get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the legendary wrestler before it airs on TV. Winners will see the movie, have a chance to win the complete 30 for 30 library, and enjoy a free meal. Afterwards, you can stick around for a Q&A with Brent Axe. It's brought to you by United Auto Supply and ESPN Radio Syracuse. The number is 437-7644-4ESPN44 if you'd like to do that, if you're into the nature boy. Should we have done the woo? That's his thing? Yes. Yes. My last day of wrestling when when Ricky the Dragon Steamboat took one in the throat, that that was the end of wrestling for me. I'm going to tell you something, Matt. I was a huge Ricky the Dragon Steamboat fan. He's one of my favorites. He and Tito Santana liked them both. Was it, uh, who did it to him? Was it Superfly Snooker? I think got him. Yep. Yeah. It's a tragic day. Google that. When, when, when was that? That's going to make me feel feel old. Anyway, give us a call. 437-7644, ESPN44. Was that planned? Not going back? I mean, I was probably like 10. So was, I don't know. Because it, it, it felt like it was a legitimate injury, right? He like broke his throat. Yes. Uh, so that's what I'm wondering if that just got out of hand or if that was like a legit injury and he disappeared behind the scenes for a while or we never really heard from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat again after that. I'm going to say what year did that happen? Was it 80? I'm going to guess uh let me just guess. Yeah, 86. Yeah, that's when it was. 86. Uh yeah, he got injured in You got 80. video? I I don't. I'm trying to see who did it. Mean, mean Gene Oakland. Can we get, get him on the show? <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, Nature Boy, 30 for 30. The best part about that whole deal, and we had a good time when we did the Mike and the Mad Dog, 30 for 30 across the street at the uh, Red House Arts Center. I think it'd be pretty cool to get your hands on the entire 30 for 30 library and have those at your disposal. I know they're not on Netflix the way they used to be, uh, at least were at, at one time. But uh, the 30 for 30s are so routinely interesting. I love that stuff. And so do hope you'll take advantage of that. Phone lines are lighting up 437-7644-ESPN44. Caller 5 wins uh, 
a chance to see that advanced screening of the Ric Flair 30 for 30. It was Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, uh, that was going to be my second that guess. That did it. And apparently. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know Randy if this Randy Puffo. Fire <laughs> League player for the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, yeah. If this, I wasn't expecting an impersonation. <laughs> that's, about, that's one of the few I can do. This, they, uh, I can do Hulk Hogan, brother. <laughs> they, uh, he went on sabbatical for the birth of his son. And, uh, oh, that was WWE, the, that was the, WWE was not happy with him. Was and, that his exit strategy? Yeah, and so, never, never pushed him again after that. Steamboat. Yep. So was the injury trumped up? Maybe it wasn't yeah, legit? I'm guessing So that. that was a cover? Okay, well, I feel better knowing that. Thank you, Polly. No Wh- Where'd you get that? Is that at ProWrestlingReference.com? Wikipedia, so it's probably not true at all. So. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll get uh, with a grain of salt. Joe, Joe in here next. Don McPherson to follow in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse, and Joe is here, and Polly's already screwing up, as promised. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Aaron Rodgers of the Packers out for surgery. The Packers quarterback has a broken right collarbone. He'll be undergoing surgery in the near future. Rodgers was injured in the first quarter on Sunday by, by a Minnesota Vikings linebacker, Anthony Barr. In 2013, Rodgers missed seven starts after breaking his left collarbone. Yeah, not good. Uh, it's a shame for football. Uh, uh, Mike Greenberg this morning on Mike and Mike phrased it the, the best way that sums up my feeling on it. Aaron Rodgers is fun to watch. Any game that Aaron Rodgers is in, I will tune in and watch. He's the king of the fourth quarter comeback, the game-winning drive. Packers against anybody is interesting, and it's not the case with Brett Hundley at quarterback. Too too bad. Hope, hope for a speedy recovery, and I hope uh, it doesn't alter the last part of his career here. A uh, little trivia for you. Longest streak without getting hurt by a QB actively right now. Do you know that? Without a missed game? You yeah, mean? and it's amazing how there's two that are just Drew tra- Brees and Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. Eli Manning. Yeah, Manning. Yeah. Manning. Has, I should have known Manning because it affected Ryan Nassib, who's basically his NFL career is going to die on the vine. He's going to be in the career five, six years and never sniff the field. He, his, his streak started on November twenty first, two thousand four. Eli Manning. Yeah. And uh, and he almost takes every snap. Yeah. Uh, and Philip Rivers started September eleventh, two thousand six. So those two have been pretty healthy for a long time. Yeah, and and. Uh, in Rivers' case in particular, very underrated, I think. He's good. He's got Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah. Not a lot of wins, but a Hall of Fame number. That's a good one. The International Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota teaming up with Turning Stone Casino in Verona. Turning Stone has hosted televis- uh, televised boxing events in the past and will host several big events as part of this arrangement. Yeah, I'd like to hear more, except that I, it strikes me as, well, duh. That, first of all, that that in my mind, I would have thought they already were together or wouldn't have been surprised if they were it makes total sense for them to uh, be together and you're not going to have boxing matches at the McDonald's across the street from the, <laughs> the Hall of Fame or the uh, little Italian restaurant there so uh, I'm all for it. Live boxing is underrated. I've only seen it once in my life. I went cool. I went totally as uh, just to cross it off the list. Same thing uh, both were at Turning Stone 
the only boxing I've seen and the only live tennis I've ever seen, you know, pro tennis. We're right there in the event center that Turning Stone does a, a good job with it. And uh, I would encourage people to see it. I mean, those guys are obviously incredibly well-tuned athletes, uh, very daring to get in there and punch and be punched. But uh, not that you would really know. You'd have to follow it to really know who the, the names are, but it's interesting. And a Utah surgeon has scrubbed up for one final time. The 94-year-old orthopedic surgeon is retired but he prepped for a mock surgery over the weekend as part of his bucket list. Yeah, that's, that's just creepy all the way around. It, <laughs> it's not Roger's surgery, right? No, I don't How'd think you it is. And, and I don't, there's any such thing as a mock surgery. He either did it just for, you know, he's obviously not walking into a real operating room. And if you were that person or loved ones of that person, how would you feel if the 94-year-old starts making his way down? On this episode of Punked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 94-year-old guy shaking. Well, like in see. sports, they always say, well, uh, having routine uh, arthroscopic surgery. Well, it's not routine if the cat's 94. Here's my problem with the story. You're 94 years old, and you've scrubbed up 10 billion times before in your life. That's not a bucket list to do it again. Well, I think the I was about to say that, too. It's like, who on their deathbed goes, you know what? I really want to go to work one more day. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do think for those of us that have fun you know jobs that we're driven for you know one reason or another to to be in and we get some enjoyment out of i could see you know football players would all say hey i want to lace it up one more time and so for him that was a that's his thing that's his game day do we care is brought to you by cams was there a, there's a sponsor on this yes there is. uh Good. do we care is brought to you by cams pizzeria cams love it first slice very enthusiastic. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And he crushed it first time out of the, the box there. Uh, so let me get this straight. So a, a company that has so, multiple locations is obviously doing very well, making great pies. They said, we want to get in the Joe sells own business. Yeah, and I'm the least likable person in this building. That, I hope that wasn't part of the sales pitch. That, <laughs> that didn't exactly drive the price up there, Joe. I, I tend to think they wanted to sponsor a segment in – that's the, That's only, the segment only segment we have. We have. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard, Cams. We got our best man on it. Don McPherson next in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange pour out onto the field. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange lead the entire game and hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. Coming off an upset of mighty Clemson, it does not get easier this Saturday for the Orange. They head to Miami to face the Hurricanes. Pre-game at 1.30, kickoff at 3.30. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. Coming off an upset of mighty Clemson, it does not get easier this Saturday for the Orange. They head to Miami to face the Hurricanes. Pre-game at 1.30, kickoff at 3.30. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth here until the top of the hour. Good to have you along with us back tomorrow and Thursday as well. We'll get uh, heavy into the Miami Hurricanes on Thursday and uh, have an opportunity to uh, visit with Joe Zagaki, our counterpart, uh, longtime play-by-play voice of the Miami Hurricanes, who are back in their own way here after their championship runs and a big dip and now unbeaten and in the top ten at number eight. We welcome in Don McPherson now to kind of catch up on this little concept we're talking about that uh, the Clemson game on Friday night could have long-lasting 
uh, positive ramifications for Orange football. And Don, welcome. Good to have you on. How are things? Always good, Matt. Always good to talk with you, man. Things well, are great. Well, I appreciate your time. And uh, first of all, do you buy my? Oh, how about your just your reaction on the game itself before we get into my little little presentation here about how uh, this this could maybe have a long lasting boost? But uh, what'd you think? A little upset action in the dome Friday night. You know, it, it was it was really fun to watch. I thought, you know, from the opening drive, I think for all the people who doubted um, Syracuse, and I'll be honest, I was I was one of them. You know, thinking they, that Clemson, you know, was just such a strong team defending national champs, the whole thing. Um, I, I thought from the opening drive, Syracuse had an edge about themselves that that was noticeable, and and that's and that's what you like to see in a team. You like to see a team with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. I think they showed it from the opening drive, and, and you just had a sense that if they can play sixty minutes, that's, you know, it's always. Been been the thing with with Syracuse as it, through the years that that, that that the team has struggled. It's, it's playing four quarters, uh, and and you just saw that you know when, when they went into the fourth quarter, they still had that swagger about themselves. What's more opposite than the two games on the road throwing an interception on your first pass of the game in both cases in, in the first or second play from scrimmage in the game? Then you come home against Pittsburgh, ten play opening drive, it, it resulted in a field goal, but at least it was points, and then. Scoring early against Clemson and playing with the lead basically the entire game. I mean that it makes it look a lot easier that way, doesn't it? Yeah, that was the impressive part. I thought once they got the lead, there was there was um, you know there was just no let up, and I think that's 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 a sign of a team that's maturing, a team that's playing together and, and starting to coalesce. Is, is that there's there's no let up, which means the guys on the sideline are are talking to one another. They're they're, they're focused. They're they're staying focused, um, and, and that's what you know. As I said, a team that starts to mature. Um, I, I think this team, by being underestimated, I think that helps them. All right, so. We'll go back and walk through it from your perspective, but do you see the possibility here of this being a Nebraska 2.0? I do, but I think the thing you have to keep in mind and remember, and I know people are can get really excited and think that that it was it was a Nebraska game and then we were in the Sugar Bowl. Um, right. That's not how it worked. There was a, there was a, there was a Nebraska win and then we struggled. Um, you know, in 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 eighty eighty five was not not as, as successful a year or or, um, or just just barely. We went to the the, the Cherry Bowl uh, and then we were five and six in, in eighty six. And so, you know, there's the one thing that happens with a, with a win like like Clemson is that you'll have some high school kid right now who's in the you know eleventh grade, he's a junior in high school, and all of a sudden he sees that excitement. He sees the fans rush the field, and his mind is made up. Um, and 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 perhaps you know back in the eighties when there was very TV coverage for all games, that's the biggest thing you've seen. And so uh, there's still a lot of competition, a lot of eyeballs where you can see see schools from around the country now because of, of more media. And and it takes it takes time to to build that program. So let's go back. So we know. In '83, you were not on the team at that time. Uh, at Nebraska, 63 to seven, and come back and beat them 17 to nine. Hard fought game in yep. uh, in '84. It should be pointed out that Syracuse in the game prior in '84 got shut out by Rutgers, Correct. and in the game after Nebraska got shut out at Florida. Not not just didn't win or weren't competitive, got shut out. Yep. At West Virginia, the next game a loss. At Penn State, a loss. So that's a that was tough. You were not in position to succeed off a big win when your next three were on the road. And for this particular Syracuse team, Don, there's another similarity there. You know, not just getting whooped last year at Clemson, beating them fair and square this time, but this next stretch of games is as tough as you want. You're at Miami, unbeaten the number eight. You got a bye week, and then you're at 
Florida State, so it's not seeded there to immediately bounce back with a, another win and another win. It's not, and this is a, this is a tougher schedule than than we had. And I was I was on that team in in '83. I was hurt, but I stayed home with that Nebraska trip. And we we were a good team. We weren't a great team. We weren't as good as this team is right now. Uh, the team in '84, likewise. When we went to Florida the next week, we we got shut out in Florida, but we played them tough. And, and that was a that was a very good Florida team. It had Evan Smith on that team. Those are a very good Florida team that that we played down there in the swamp. And so. Um, this, the schedule now is a little tougher. Um, the, Miami Miami's playing great football right now. They're strong on defense. They're playing they're playing good in all positions, and, and and they've shown the moxie that they need. Two two games where they had to to really make things happen uh, late in the ball game, and, and you know sort of believe in each other. The team starts to believe in each other when they when they make those kinds of things happen. So they've got a tough game against Miami. Florida State is Florida State, and uh, they've they've got their struggles, but they're still Florida State. So um, you know. If they can, if they can string together a couple more wins in this tough schedule right now, I, I think that gets back to, to to what I was saying earlier about uh, you know mitigating the fact that there's a lot of football to be seen uh, by high school kids and recruits that they'll be able to, to showcase that they're a program heading in the right direction. Don McPherson's our guest, the great quarterback and leader of the Orange's unbeaten team in 1987. Today's show brought to you in part by the Food Bank of Central New York. And Don, let's go big picture. You've got a good perspective on this. What types of things were in place in 85, 6, 7? So in 84, you were one of a number of quarterbacks that played. You actually had more rushing attempts than pass attempts that year, but not a lot of either, and it was not your team. It would become your team a couple years down the road, and and you and your classmates and and all the guys that we know from the 87 team rose to leadership and, and prominence. The guys that might do that for Syracuse two, three, four years down the road might not be on the team now necessarily. So what do we need to be looking for? Consistency. And and I think that's that's the thing that 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 um that we had in in the latter part of of uh, uh 80, 86 um the second half of the 86 season even though it was a losing season um we started to play with some consistency. We started to see players settle into some positions. Um we we had an offense that was really a, a a hodgepodge of, of three different offenses that George De Leon was putting together in uh, his sort of mad scientist days of being an offensive coordinator. And so we were sort of doing a number of different things, uh, but we were doing them with consistency. And, and so um, the other thing that, that was really key that, you know, and this is the challenge for, for, for Coach Babers, is to get his system into high schools in the Northeast. And that, that, that's, you know, I've always been a, about Syracuse has to, we have to win recruit the recruiting battle in the Northeast. I just I firmly believe that. I think that the thing that we did in the eighties, uh was we won local. We won with guys like Daryl Johnston and uh, other guys who you know, Paul Fraze and guys who were not necessarily blue chip five star, four star guys, but but came and, and, and wanted to work hard and wanted to be a part of a program that was building consistently. And, and that's that's what needs to happen. There needs to be some consistent growth and, and then, then the pipeline that starts to, to, to come out of high schools that are that want to be like Syracuse, that want to run the program and run the offense. I know that you know so many people, when, by the time get kids got to Syracuse, they were doing the freeze option. They were doing the things that we were doing um, because they wanted to be like Syracuse. And so you, you, and they're 
coaches wanted their kids to go to Syracuse, so they started coming to clinics and started teaching some of the same concepts. Those are the things that have to happen uh, for the program to build in the right direction. Well, that is a really incredible uh, and a very interesting concept that I haven't heard anybody else uh get into and I want to touch base with you on it here point of fact that the 86 orange won four of their last five yep. uh, three of those were on the road uh, the only loss was uh, against BC on the road beat Temple beat West Virginia on the road beat Pitt and Navy here and then of course ran the table in uh, the next season in 1987 so you know I guess I don't have the recollection of that in, in terms of high schools picking up and, and wanting to play like Syracuse but you bet your butt down in Texas they do that, right? So the, the whole the origin of this offense is Art Bryles at Rinky Dink High School that was outgunned and had never won, and he takes them to the state championship again and again, and now it's been obviously refined and, and smoothed and, and made into this powerhouse. How powerful would that be if that gets to Long Island and to New York and to Buffalo and Rochester? And now, I guess to to put words in your mouth, Don, you're, you're looking to create kind of your own farm system where other schools really aren't used to recruiting in this area. And, and that's, that's the, the challenge for, has always been the challenge for Syracuse uh, with, with this, this type of, of, of foot, this brand of football is because it's hard to do run that kind of offense year round. Remember, down in Texas, you can play football, and, and a high school game is seven on seven. You can play football twelve months out of the year, uh, where you don't. We don't have that luxury up here. We we just don't. We just don't have it. We play. We're lucky if we play six months out of the year, eight months. And out seven of the year. high school games, by the way. It, it, Exactly, and so so there's a difference in in, in the kinds of pro, kinds of systems that you can implement. Uh, but I you know I can't uh, uh, underscore, and this is just you know this is just me being me. I think about when Rich Rodriguez went to Michigan and how Michigan dropped off. And if you recognize how when Michigan dropped off under Rich Rodriguez, two programs that got really good during that time was Michigan State and Wisconsin. And where they got good was on the O line and in the run game and in the ground game. And Michigan State and Wisconsin. Wisconsin got good in the ground game because all those big old linemen were not going to Michigan. All those all those three hundred pounders who just want to put the knuckles in the in the in the dirt and fire off. Now all of a sudden, that Michigan were being asked to go lateral and and to play in the Rich Rodriguez fast system. And so um, there, there was a drop off at Michigan as a result. Because they got away from their DNA, they got away from sort of what people in, in that section of the country were running, and those big old linemen and, and, and big, you know, two two hundred forty pound running backs who wanted to get twenty and thirty carries a game or fifteen twenty carries a game. They they went to to Wisconsin and, and Michigan State. So that's the, you know, Syracuse right now doesn't have that sort of pedigree where where as I said, there's a consistent offense with so many coaching changes over the years, and this is a system that Dino Babers is committed to, or is committed to that he can teach. Um, high school coaches and junior college coaches in the Northeast uh, start creating that pipeline. I think that's that's the key to that consistency I was talking about. All right, we're definitely going to ask him about that because I think you're on to something there. And who knows whether it's that how much of a fit it is, but the rise of this style of play across the game and in college means it's going to rise in high school and there are going to be more players that are suited into this system. I also think you know his biggest recruiting pitch, aside from the quality of the school, and playing time itself is playing time in ideal conditions in the dome, et cetera. Last thing, we got about a minute and change left on from a community perspective. What was your recollection about how it caught fire 
In other words, it, it's been a minute here since the Dome has really been rocking or has been rocking for multiple games in a row. And to me, I think that's a big, important corner to turn. No question about it. I think the thing about the Carrier Dome that it's maintained its reputation through the basketball program, quite frankly. And when you see thirty thousand people in the basketball, you know you always see that environment for a basketball game in recent years, and think, "Wow, this place should be rocking like this for football." Or you're sitting at home, as I often am, back here on Long Island, and I turn the TV on and I see empty seats for a football game. You see corners of the of the upper decks that are empty, and 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 you just want to see that place packed. And when you see the kind of enthusiasm that you saw Friday night, you just know the next game that the fans will be back. And that's that once again, you, you got you, you can't over uh, overestimate or understate the fact that there's there's a there's a 11 year old excuse me 11 11th grade kid sitting in his living room somewhere watching that game and thinking I want to be a part of that environment. And and that's that's that you know, it, it's Hard to, it's hard to say sometimes, but that can be the difference making whether or not you get a, a four-star uh, kid who knows that he's going to be playing on a big stage. Yeah, great stuff. Well, we've got a lot of things to watch for the markings of here to see uh, if this uh, leads to sustained uh, success. And, Don, we always appreciate your input and perspective. We'll do it again sometime, okay? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Anytime, buddy. That's a great uh, Don McPherson of the 1987 Orange team. But uh, as germane to today's discussion on that 84 team and the way that Tommy DeVito or somebody like that is on this team, and uh, what will come of that. We'll be back here tomorrow at uh, 2 o'clock, then Thursday, 2 o'clock as well. Ian Eagle and Joe Zagacki set to join us on Thursday's show. Very much looking forward to that. Paulie is on the road after tomorrow's show. We'll check in on him on ESPN Syracuse.